Good morning. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the things we've just sung. How many of you need someone in your life who will come alongside you and empathize with you? Even if they don't know what to say, how many of you, when you're hurting, you need someone just to come alongside and maybe hold your hand? Okay. Yes, in Ephesians four eleven through 13, it says, And he himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity in the faith. We've been discussing our callings. And we're going to continue in that series today as we, we've already looked at the apostle. We looked at the prophet. We looked at the evangelist. And today we come to the pastor or the shepherd. And those of you who just said, sometimes I just need someone who can empathize with me. Someone who can come alongside when I need, when I need them most. And today we're going to look at the pastor. But from here on in, I'd like to refer to it more as a shepherd, if you will. I, I, I believe that in evangelicalism here in America, we've grown up with understanding that a title pastor is a vocation. It's a job. It's a religious professional who works at a church. I have that title, so I get it. It's my ministry assignment. And there are equippings that the Lord has given me are the power of his spirit. He's placed his spirit in me. And those gifts that I have are equipping me to walk as I'm called. But today we're going to talk about the function of the shepherd, if you will. Someone who just has a sensitivity, someone who has a heart, someone who can, even right now, God is going to today, I just know this, reveal to some of us in this room that God has called you as shepherds because you find your heart breaking and you find a a sensitivity to his spirit and you find that sensitivity specifically when it's directed at other people. Today we're discussing the function, the calling, not the vocation or the equipping of the shepherd. To capture the heart of the shepherd, I want to read an excerpt from a book. It's called uh, Everybody Always by Bob Goff. He says it like this, and I think he captures it brilliantly. Whether we want to or not, we end up memorizing what we do repeatedly. It's the way that we're wired from the factory, because this is how we were made. It's a great idea to pick actions worth repeating. People who are turning into love do this. They adopt beautiful patterns and surrounding imagery for their lives. They fill their lives with songs, practices, and habits that communicate love, acceptance, grace, generosity, whimsy, and yes, forgiveness. People who are becoming love repeat these actions so often they don't even recognize them or they realize they're doing them anymore. It's just finger memory to them. They don't need anyone to clap for them. They don't need validation of things inherently right and true and beautiful. They don't need all of the accolades that come with recognition. They also don't need to feel like they should criticize people who've gotten a couple things wrong. Someone say amen. I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the end of the day more than a few times and realized that my untucked shirt was uneven at the bottom. I'm usually just one button off, sometimes two. Fact is, some of the people who have shaped my faith, the most of them were usually a couple buttons off themselves. They've made some big mistakes. We should run toward these people, not away. There's a quiet confidence in knowing that we all hit a couple of wrong notes here and there. 
The report card on our faith is not how we, how we hit wrong notes, but rather how we treat one another when we do. To me, Bob has captured the heart of a shepherd here. In fact, if I were to liken the pastor or the shepherd like David to a body part, uh, knowing that we were in 1 Corinthians 12, one body that's set up of many parts, I'd liken the shepherd to the heart. I, I only want to draw this distinction because God did it himself. Do you remember when God called David to be king over Israel, second king of Israel? He said, I'm going to put a man over Israel now that has a heart after my own, right? The shepherd David. Um, in fact, David, if you remember, we'll look at it, we'll kind of breeze at it, but if you go back and you read 1 Samuel 16, if you remember what David was doing when he was called for his anointing party, seven brothers before paraded in front of him, but not one of them was the one. He wasn't even invited to the party. He was asked to go shepherd the sheep just so his brothers, the ones who more accurately fit the picture of what a king should be in the eyes of man, were invited while he stayed and took care of everything else. So we're not going to be talking about David today. I want to talk about one of the most important shepherds I think Scripture's given us, and his name was Moses. And in order to set the stage, we're going to be looking at, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus because we're going to be found in Exodus 3 and a little bit of 4. So here's what happened to uh, all the Hebrew people and Moses during this period, the first couple chapters of Exodus. You want to read it, go back and do it. So the Hebrew people have been in bondage now in Egypt for 400 years. They've been in, they've been in Egypt for 400 years after Joseph. And at first, God's blessing was upon the Hebrews. They grew from a few hundred to millions. And in 400 years, they were first invited into Egypt as guests, as honored guests, welcomed guests. But then they would become slaves. Pharaoh, in his fear, commands that all Hebrew boys would be thrown into the Nile River. All the firstborn to be killed. Why? Because he was afraid that these, they were going to be overthrown by the populace boom of the Israelites. So the Hebrews begin to cry out, to God for help. The son of a Levite family is born. And to save him, they hide him in a basket and send him down the Nile. He is taken out of the water, and that's what gave him his name, Moses, to draw him out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, to be raised as her own for the next 40 years in Pharaoh's house. The next 40 years, Moses will be trained in Egyptian civil and social law. He'll become an Egyptian dignitary in the house of Pharaoh. Meanwhile, his Hebrew blood, his Hebrew brothers are slaves. Slaves with the tightening noose of Pharaoh upon them. Around the time of that 40th year, Moses begins to have an internal struggle, a battle within him. He knows that he's uh, favored in the Egyptian Society, However, he finds this internal struggle within him as if he just doesn't fit. He rises up, kills an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew unjustly, and he hides him in the sand. The next day he comes out, finds two Hebrew brothers fighting, and he goes, why do you fight with one another? And they look at him and say, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Knowing that he has now got a hit on his life with Pharaoh knowing that the Hebrew people have rejected him. He runs. How many of you, when you get rejected, you have a tendency to want to run? 
He runs from this place, runs from Egypt, runs to Midian, and he'll spend the next 40 years under the direction of Jethro, a priest in Midian. And he's going to shepherd the sheep of Jethro for him. He's going to marry his daughter Zavorah, and he'll be in the wilderness of Midian for the next 40 years. Today, let me pick up in chapter 2, verse 21, and then we'll move into 3. It says, Then Moses was content to live with the man, he, he, and gave him, Sephora, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son, and they called him Gershom, for he said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage they, they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And he looked up to the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, chapter 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he's afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I surely have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard the cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up to a land that is good and large, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Point, first point I want to make to you today is this. The crying of some leads to the calling of others. How many of you heard them say, not once, not twice, but three times in that passage that we just read, the cries of the people because of the oppression of Egyptian had reached God's ear. The cries of the people evoked a response, an answer from God. You see, God shows up in multiple ways throughout Scripture. We see theophanies happen all over the place. We see him in earthquakes. We see him in the fire that Elijah prays for from heaven to consume at the prophet of Baal challenge, we see him show up right here. How many of you, this is not your first time hearing this passage. We see him show up right here in the burning bush, but not consuming the bush. But here's the thing I want to point out. His answer to the cries of the people is to work through Moses. You see, God throughout Scripture, from Old to New Testament, God has always been about working through his people. Yes, the these happening. Yes, these unexplainable, miraculous things take place that we can see. But God has repeatedly, from the old to the new, 
Specifically in the New Testament church, when we recognize the local church as his sending agency. This is God's mission department. That's why we got to talk about callings. It's so very important. God is sending us. And so here, his answer is to send Moses to work through Moses to answer the cries of the people. Number two, functions of the shepherd are this. They make it safe for us to walk out vision. Too often, the reason that we don't walk as God has called us to is because we get crippled by the lie that keeps us otherwise at bay. But see, when we have shepherds in our lives, those people who are called as shepherds come alongside us and go, look, I know it's scary, I know you're not certain, but I just want you to know I'm going to be with you no matter where we go here. I'm going to go down the rabbit hole with you if I have to. You can count on me. Because have you ever seen a shepherd lead sheep? You know what I'm talking about? Let me give you a visual here. Uh, Let me use David in a moment to explain biblically what I mean. Here it is. Shepherds will always walk with their sheep. They get out in front of them for a moment and they give them maybe just a couple steps ahead so they let the sheep know an example of where they are to follow. But it's not long before you see that shepherd drift back amongst their sheep and they'll reach out and stroke their sheep. They encourage them. If they fall down, they pick them up, take them on their shoulders. If they need bandaging, they encourage them and they heal them. They help come alongside them. Then they'll drift to the back because sheep have a tendency to wander. And that's why the shepherd was given a crook. It's so that they could correct the sheep when they are headed north and that's the vision. They have a tendency to look east, west, or south. He can correct them and bring them back into play. But shepherds also defend their sheep. It's not long before you'll see a shepherd get on the outside and defend and fight against any potential predator or thief that may come against the sheep. David did this, and we see it happen in all four ways. David leads by being anointed by Samuel, though he wasn't even initially invited to the party, 1 Samuel 16. But then when we see David do the most important thing I remember David doing in his reign as king, read about in 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles 15, where he ushers the ark, the presence of God, back into the people. We talked about this. Do you remember what he did? He takes off his royal garb. He takes off that thing that dignifies him as as king and separates himself, puts on the linen ephod, and he's found dancing amongst the priests with the people almost unrecognizable. And then when he is uh, given a scribe for the, the thing that, I don't know. He, we, we talk about the most with David is what? That he slayed who? Right, yeah. That he took on the giant. In 1 Samuel 17, when we see him do that, there's a conversation that happens preceding it. Saul looks at him and goes, you're crazy. These men out here are trained in battle and they won't go. You're just a boy. Do you remember David's response? Hey, listen, don't misconstrue things. I've taken the lion by the beard. I'm a beast and I can defend because I trust that God will do. And then David, even later on, as Saul clearly understands and in jealousy sees that the anointing has been put on David as the next king, he shows restraint in 1 Samuel 24. As he and his men are hiding out from Saul who's seeking to kill him, Saul goes in and David, even though his men are urging him to, doesn't take Saul's life. He says, just so you know, I had you. Just so you know, I could take your life today. But I recognize that God still has you as king. 
I'm willing to do what God wants and in his perfect timing, I'm not in it for my own glory. I'm going to lead. I'm going to walk with. I'm going to draw back and make sure no one steps outside the vision and the perfect time of God and I'm going to defend if I have to. Shepherds make it safe, often equipped with the following gifts. Mercy, helps, leadership, teaching, exhortation. It's not an exhaustive list. They may have some of these, may have more than these. Not imperative, but it makes sense that those whom God has given a passion and an empathy to go to those who are hurting the most and to come alongside them, maybe to be an example for them, maybe to help correct them from thinking falsely, and maybe even to defend them, that he would give these kind of gifts spiritually by the power of his spirit. I want to read on if we can in Exodus 3. Here it goes in verse 11. But Moses said to God, After this call, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God of Moses said, You say, I am who I am. And he said, Thus, you shall say to the children, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God of Moses, God said to Moses, Thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord of your fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I've surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egyptians to a land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18. Then they will heed your voice. And you shall come, and you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even for his, not even by my mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and my wonders, uh, which I will do in the midst of them. After that, he will let you go. Verse 21, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor. Namely, of he who dwells in our house, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing. You should put them on your sons and daughters. You should plunder the Egyptians. Now, before I read on, chapter 4. A lot of scripture there. We're going to come back and unpack it. But we need to see the narrative. We've got to see what God's doing here. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Anybody here ever questioned God? Anyone here ever, when God gives you assurance, second-guessed God? Anyone ever continue to second guess God, make God do mental gymnastics logically and so that you'll obey him? Just me? Okay, here we go. Verse 4, 
or chapter 4, verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Verse 11, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Verse 13, But continues... Anyone else like me? You got the proverbial butt ready for God at every turn. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send the hand of whomever you else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be as him, God. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to answer the call? See, Moses had a proper response. His first response, his gut response before he got into a debate with God was this, here I am. That's the appropriate response. That's it. Whatever you want, here I am. Moses, Moses, here I am. We don't need to get into all this dialogue necessarily, but we have a tendency to do it. And we have a tendency to do it when we feel a lack of worth or value. We don't feel like we're the ones that should be able to do it. But see, God calls from the bush and Moses gives this response. I've I've said this before, but I need to say it again. Sometimes, in fact, when it comes to God, I believe all the time, we need to be willing to say yes without really knowing what we're saying yes to. Anyone ever dealt with this or know what I'm talking about? You simply say yes, and you're really not even sure what you said yes to. And when God reveals that, then you start to debate and have a little wrestling match with God, logically asking him to prove himself. You know what I'm talking about? Here's the question. It's God. Can you trust him? Can we trust him? Too much, too much time to think has a tendency to lead us to this debate that we see Moses go through. God is calling, and thus God is the one sending lest we forget. You hear me? God's the one who's calling and God's the one who's sending. I love his response to Moses here. He says, who am I? As he's called as a shepherd, who am I to go to these people? I love God's response. I am. Listen, let's not misconstrue who this is actually about, Moses. This isn't about you. I don't even need you. I'm choosing to do it through you. I want you to join me in this. So, let me, let me give you a point that I think is really clear and it's really important. And let's get past all the gift envy and all that stuff. Whatever God has put in you, whatever call that God puts in you, listen to me, whatever he's left out of you is not necessary for you to be effective. Let me, how many of you go, ah, I just wish I could speak better like Moses? Oh, I just wish that I was a little funnier. Oh, I just wish that if I pulled out a ball, everyone came like the evangelist does. I wish I had that. Listen, whatever God has called you to, 
the calling he's placed in you or in me. Whatever he left out, he did so intentionally. You don't need to have anything in you that God didn't specifically place in you. So we need to stop arguing about needing a certain gifting or a certain help or a certain kind of favor when we have the favor of God. Hello? We need to stop trying to logically piece them together and go, well, if I were this, I'd be more effective. No, if God put that calling in you, he's given you everything that you need to be effective in that calling. You've got to trust him. Secondly, you need to stop arguing, complaining about the things that you suffered in life as if, as if God didn't know about it. How many of you have ever turned and said, my past is a hindrance? to me walking accountably. If I just had a stable home and I wasn't a product of divorce, maybe, maybe I would be effective in this call. Do you think that shocked God? Romans 8 says that he'll use everything for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. So, like, do you think that any potential roadblock or restraint or of the things that you've suffered in life, which I hate that you suffered. Hey, listen, I've suffered. But do you, do you realize that God has used my suffering repeatedly in revealing himself to others? Do you realize the things that I hurt through in my past and where I felt a little slighted? Anyone ever felt cheated in life? God is using all of that to reveal himself to the world. He's using it and he just asks, are you willing? Are you willing to say, here I am? Are you willing to be obedient? Say yes without knowing what you're saying yes to and, and stop arguing saying that, you know, this, this uh, roadblock, this, this issue that I've suffered in life, this hurt that I went through will never allow me to be effective. Or, or you know what, I don't have that gift that so-and-so has and if I was just more like them, I'd be effective. We've got to stop doing that. Moses said, who am I? God said, I am who I am. God responds to the cries of the people by sending Moses, but I want you to hear that God responded to Moses' cry right here. How many of you ever looked at God and said, I'm not good enough? I, who am I to do it? He says, it's still not about you. It's about me. I am who I am. Moses says, but I stutter. Who made man's mouth? Like, you recognize that I'm not talking about what, I, what you're going to do. I'm talking about what I'm going to do and I need to do it through you. So here's the thing. We can't look past our preparation. No matter how much we hurt through it, no matter how much it was good, we have to stop blaming the past hurts or our present road, roadblocks as if those are the reason that we're not walking as God has called us to. I want you to recognize Moses, by the time he talks to God right here, for the first time, by the way, this is his first encounter with God. Pretty amazing. He has no one. Who's he have? He literally has no one. He talks about how he stutters, and uh, sometimes we get so bogged down by the things we've experienced that we get crippled by it, and we allow it to distract us from the power of the moment. He could have been distracted by the power of the moment. He's talking to a bush that's on fire as God reveals himself, but not consumed so much so that it first gets his attention. And as he begins to dialogue, how many of you go, I just want God to speak to me clearly. But then we go, but God, you told me, but... 
Let's look at what Moses did have. Listen to me. This is really important. He had 40 years of training as a dignitary learning Egyptian policy, social, and civil law. Raised in the house of Pharaoh. Who better to negotiate a contract of freedom for the people of Israel than someone who knows precisely how to speak to Pharaoh? Who better? 40 years of training in his house. Who better to negotiate this contract? Secondly, 40 years in the very wilderness where he's going to lead the people of Israel as a shepherd. He knows every watering hole. He knows every pasture. He knows precisely where to lead them so they can have their livestock grace. He's going to know it better than anyone. And I want to throw this out too. I think this is important. How old was Moses at the burning bush when he was called? 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, another 40 years in the wilderness, leading, listen, this is awesome. These aren't even his sheep. When I say he has no one, he's got no one. These aren't even his sheep. These are Jethro's sheep. 40 years. So 40 plus 40 is, nice and loud. Just because you're retired does not mean you're done. The Bible says that, Paul said it, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You may be freed at this point to actually do what God has called you to do. Do not, do not think that just because your hair's a little gray, maybe your hair's a little gone, that God's done with you. Hear me? It may be time to click in and actually trust because at 80, hey man, you got silver hair, people are gonna listen to live as Christ. I wanna point this out too because I think it's really important. Did you notice that every covenant throughout history with Israel was made with a shepherd? From the Abrahamic to the, the Messianic, God was called, Jesus called himself in John 10, the good shepherd. Every single covenant that God made with Israel, he made with a shepherd. Because he knew that the heart of the shepherd is what he needed to be able to communicate himself and his faithfulness, his promises to the people. But you know what will cripple a shepherd from walking as they're called? What did, what did Moses actually just say right here? I've said it already. The lie that cripples every shepherd. I'll be there for everyone, but in the end, no one will be there for me. I have no one. Look, I was raised in this house and I learned everything about how it, it's supposed to go as an Egyptian, but I never felt right. I never really felt at home. I always kind of felt like a guest. But then when I rose up to defend my brother because I recognized who I was, they rejected me. And I've been out here in the wilderness leading a sheep that aren't even mine because I got a hit on my life from Pharaoh and your people whom you're saying that I'm supposed to go back to who've already said, who do you think you are? You're not a slave like us. You may have our blood, but you were raised somewhere else. You can't lead us. He's going, who am I to go to them? That cry was answered with God's answer. I am who I am. But the lie that Moses continually repeats here is driven by the fact that he has no one. He believes that he has been there for everyone, but in the end, no one has been there for him. So he, like a doormat, continues to argue with God out of his lie. Let me, let me say something I think is really important here, though. If Moses, I wish God would have turned and just said this to Moses. I don't have anyone. I don't have anything. These sheep aren't even mine. I believe we should take God's perspective here. Because have you ever noticed how amazing it is 
and, and what God will accomplish with people who recognize they have nothing. Here's God's perspective. You got nothing to lose. If you have nothing, you've got nothing to lose. There's nothing to hold on to. I can actually do more through those people. And what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler and every disciple that came after him? Drop your nets, follow me. Leave everything you have and cling to me, what? Alone. So if we would stop holding comfortably to everything that binds us down and we would look at the power of what he just said, He said the truth because every lie has to have some truth to it, right? I have no one. I have nothing. God goes, perfect, I'm using you. You've got nothing to lose in this. Amen? So God answers the cry of Moses too. I'm with you. I am who I stand, but I'm not going to leave you. Even though you feel like no one will be here for you, I've never not been here with you. I know this is the first time you and I are talking, but I've always been and I will always be with you. The beauty of this is shepherds need shepherds too. Pastors need pastors too. Do you know that? And Moses gets pastored or shepherded right here by the good shepherd. No one better to get shepherded by. Every time that we've witnessed so far in the series, God calls someone in any different calling that we've discussed Every single person had to respond to God first. Before they responded to what he's asking them to do, they had to respond to him. They had to be willing to be sent as he called them to be sent. And guess what? They did it. Here's the question I ask this morning. Will you? Will I? Every time, even here, Moses, will you do what I've asked you to do? Will you just be obedient? Every time. It starts with a personal response to God's enlisting you and me. It's not about your friends. It's not about who's sitting next to you. It's not about who else is in your church to, to, to like come alongside and answer as well. Are you going to answer? I'll answer if you do. It is always about God calling his individual, individual like the relationship, that personal. I stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens the door to me, I'll come in and sup with him. I'll come in and dine with him. I'll have relationship with that individual. Are we willing to say yes without knowing what we're saying yes to and be called no matter what God desires? Send me. Here I am. I'll go. Are we willing to do that? Because every single calling we've seen so far had to be willing, even if they were scared, even if they were uncertain. This is why God gave us shepherds, so that we would understand. Because there are people, listen, shepherds, those of you who in this room just had it go click, that's me. That's so totally who I am. I need you praying right now for people whom God is calling that you need to come alongside and say, look, I just want you to, to understand that you can trust God, you can trust his heart, and however he calls you, no matter what he calls you into, it's going to be okay. Because I'm going to be here and I'm going to make it safe. At every turn, Moses objects. But at every turn, God answers. At every turn, who am I? Well, don't worry about that. I am. Well, what if I stutter? Don't worry about it. I'll give you someone to come alongside. Well, well, what if they don't listen? Or what if, what if my mouth messes it up? Who formed man's mouth, Moses? This still isn't about you. It's about me. See, God knew what he was doing in Moses. He knew precisely what he was doing in Moses and with him. The question is, do you trust that he knows precisely what he's doing in you? Do you trust that? 
How many hoops are we going to continue to make God go through in order for us to trust him? How many logical gymnastics are we going to make God go through before we let him be God in our own lives and lead us, right? If he's God, then who's in charge? You or me or him? It's him. So instead of forcing him to show us he's God again by our, listen, by our arrogance, maybe by our own ignorance, maybe our just our inobedience, like our insolence. Instead of doing that, because he will, he'll come even right now because he loves you and me. Why don't we allow the good shepherd to come to you right now as if you were walking through this crowd and looks at just you? And he comes to you. Let me ask you to imagine this for yourself. What does he look like and what does he want from you? What are his hands doing? What is his face doing? What is the heart of God doing as Jesus comes to you, the good shepherd, and he communicates his love for you? What does he have? And here's, here's the bigger question. Will you be willing to accept that invitation and open the door to him? Because today, that invitation may be for the first time. Maybe you're here and you go, I've, I've never had anyone love me like that. I've never had anyone love me unconditionally and open and invite me to come in. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to be here in a moment. And I have other staff that will be here in a moment. Lynn will be here. Prayer partners will be here on the sides. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like. But maybe you're here and you're like me, a little bit more like me. You made that decision, but you've come to this place in your life countless times. And you sense God leading you to go to that next level with him. But you allow fear and lies to cripple you. And you do a dialogue with God that says, but. And it starts with that conjunction. Listen, let's just do this. Let's just remove our stiff arm today. Let's just ask God to move by the power of his spirit to remove the butt, and no matter what that is, if it's to come to his table and re-enlist and say, thank you for loving me and sacrificing yourself so that I might live. Thank you for loving my friends and my family, and I'm going to bring them to the front today, and I'm just going to pray for them because you love them so much and you gave me them. I'm going to shepherd and come alongside them, let them know it's safe to follow you. Maybe you go, I have people in my life who desperately need Jesus, and so I'm going to put their name on the cross, and I'm going to pray over them, and I'm asking you to do the same. Listen, however God leads you today, let me ask, would we be obedient to respond and answer much like each person we've seen thus far through this series respond and answer? Would we say yes, even if we don't know we're saying yes to? Or will we debate? Scripture said it like this, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Who here wants to be found on the end of God's stiff arm because of our own pride he had to resist us. Not me.